Well, good morning, everyone. Very anemic. Good morning, everyone. How great is life? Very great, very great. Hey, listen, I'm excited to be here today, and we're going to uh, study Psalm 116 today. So if you have a Bible, open up to it. I'm not going to project the words today, but please open up to where you can follow along because, uh, um, by the way, I'm Tom. For those of you who don't know me, I've been here since the beginning, and uh, if you remember anything about the early days, I always want people to have their Bibles open to follow along. So I want to hear those pages flipping. Psalm 116. And the last few weeks we've had visitors here and they had people stand for the reading of God's word. I kind of like that. So why don't we stand up? Plus, if you stand up, it makes you a lot less likely to fall asleep quick. So let's do that. Psalm 116. The psalmist says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. The Lord is gracious as the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. You have delivered, for you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we just pray now that you will bless these words to our meditation. We pray that it will challenge us deeply, maybe even hurt us, maybe even sock us in the face. But Lord, whatever you have for us, please give it to us now that we might be more faithful and productive in your service. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. You may be seated. Now, I'm not one who normally gave uh, uh, sermon titles, but this one I have one for. It's the Worshipper's Song of Praise. It's an intensely personal thank you to the Lord for, for, uh, for what he's done for him. And what he did is he delivered this psalmist from death. If you look at uh, verse 3, the snares of death encompass me. Verse 8, for you have delivered my soul from death. This is what we might call a doxology. Uh, it comes from two words, means glory or praise and a word about. So this is a word of praise from this particular psalmist. Maybe David wrote this, some attribute it to him, but fact is we really don't know. It appears to deal with uh, the psalmist being delivered from physical death 
but it could uh, be sung by anyone rescued from spiritual death as well. It's one of the Hallel or Hallel Psalms, Psalms 113 through 118. And it was, these were Psalms that were sung during the major festivals of ancient Israel. And uh, certainly, uh, if you read in Matthew 26 and Mark 14, at the Last Supper of Jesus and his disciples, they sang a hymn or sang us together before they went out into the night. So it's very, very likely that this was sung by Jesus himself as he departed from that upper room to go to the horrors of the cross. Try to bear that in mind as we go through it. Uh, whatever the circumstances of the writing, G. Campbell Morgan writes this. And so, uh, whatever the circumstances which gave rise to this song, it is evident that all, that all this rich meaning was fulfilled when in the midst of that little company of perplexed, perplexed souls, the shadows of the one death already on him, Jesus sang this song of prophetic triumph over the sharpness of the hour of passion to which he was passing. He has made it over to all his own as their triumph song over death. So whatever, whoever the author is and whatever the exact circumstances, it's clearly a pure expression of worship. Now, just a word about worship. It's simply, worship is simply praise and adoration towards God. It takes uh, many forms or many venues. I mean, some people worship in song. Some people worship in thought. Some people worship in prayer. Some people worship with, by reading God's word. Some people worship by going in a dark room and just simply thinking about God. And it takes many physical forms too. Some raise their hands, their arms, their hands out. Some put them down with their hands up. Some do this, some do that, some in the pocket, some lay down, some on their back, some on their stomach, some on their knees. It really doesn't matter. All pure worship, get this, comes from a pure heart. Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. Remember that. Whatever else you're doing, it's not important if your heart is not right. We're going to use a very simple outline and examine this word or song of praise. First of all, the worshiper shares his bedrock emotion. Whenever you're building something, you try to go down to get to the bedrock where everything is firm and secure. Well, the bedrock emotion here comes right out in verse 1. I love the Lord. I love the Lord. And uh, I think everyone here would say that too. If I came to every one of you individually, what do you think about the Lord? Well, I love the Lord. But you know what, friends? Talk is cheap. We've all heard people say things, oh, I love her, I love him, I love this, I love that. But actions speak much louder than words. And the fact of the matter is, Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my Aha, ouch. Just saying, friends, words don't really mean much if there isn't corresponding behavior. But what a precious thing to truly love God. Human beings, we may love other human beings, and we do. And there's always times when they don't return our love. But that's not the way it is with God. Think about it. God loved us first. God loved us first. John 4, 19 says, we love God because he loved, first loved us. And not only does he love us first, God loves us forever, forever. 
Jeremiah 31.3 states, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And what about Romans 8.35-39? One of my favorite passages in all the word of God. Paul says at the end of that great doctrinal section, knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. What did conquerors do in the Roman world? They totally obliterated their opposition with no mercy whatsoever. But in Christ, we are more than conquerors through him. He said, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation shall be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God loved us first. Might also say he loved us better and he loved us forever. Let's see why the psalmist would boldly proclaim his love for God. First of all, or secondly, the worshiper shares his reasons now. Now bear in mind, the the psalmist is using passionate language here. It's as if he shouts, oh, I love the Lord. Hmm. The first reason he offered is this. God has heard his cry. If you have a little bulletin insert, you can follow along here. Verses 1 through 2. God has heard his cry. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. You ever stop and think? I mean, talk about worship. Just stop and think how amazing it is that the creator and sustainer of the universe knows us and hears us. Think about that. Yeah, this God who created the heavens and the earth, who spoke it into existence, he hears us. He knows us. The one same God that said, let there be light, and there was light. Wham. He knows us. The same God of whom it said, the Lord God formed the man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils a breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Yes, this God. He knows us, he loves us, he cares for us. Who could not love such a God? And I'll tell you right off the bat, who probably doesn't? The one who doesn't know him. And the one who doesn't know him well. That's about the only ones. The psalmist gives another reason. God heard his cry. The second thing is, God lifted him out of his pit of despair. Look at verses three through seven. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Oh Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. God is, our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Now, to one degree or another, we all go through times where we're down and out and downcast and sad, even depressed. But you know what? I have good news. God specializes in dealing with that very thing. Look at verse 3 again. The snares of death encompass me. And we normally think, you know, you got snared. That means you got caught. You know what a snare is? Usually it's done with wire. You make a little loop, you have an end on it, you put the other end through so you, that thing tightens down. It's put in a place where an animal can walk into that. Usually it's through their head and they feel something. They go like that. Guess what? That tightens. 
It creates more anxiety. What's going on here? I want to get away from this. They tighten. And the more desperate the struggle becomes, the tighter the snare comes until they're strangled to death. That's the imagery right here. The snares of death encompass me. The pangs of Sheol, that's Old Testament poetry for conscious torment in death. They paint a most painful, desperate, and hopeless picture. We cannot know for sure exactly what it was, but the psalmist was in a very bad place. It could have been a grave illness. It could have been a severe physical wounding. It could have been danger or deep emotional trauma. It could have been both, like Job. We really don't know. But imagine Jesus singing this right before he went to the cross. No doubt in his humanity, that's exactly how he felt and felt it in a way that none of us ever will. So don't ever fall into the trap of saying, well, God doesn't understand or I know no one would openly say that, but in our actions, often we tend to slip into something like that. Yeah, he knows. Now note the contrast from the pit of despair Verse 4, then I called on the name of the Lord. Oh, Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the humble when I was brought low. He saved me. And then return, O oh, my soul, to your rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Look at the first part of verse 4. Then I called on the name of the Lord. If you have a Bible, look at, see the word Lord. You notice that's all capital letters, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's a code in our Bibles that stands for the Old Testament name of God, Yahweh. What used to be thought of was Jehovah, but we know now it's Yahweh, Y-E-H-W-E-H. It's the name that God gave to Moses when Moses said, Who are you, Lord? Who shall I tell the people sent me? I am that I am. He gave them the name of Yahweh. That name was so precious that in ancient Hebrew writings, they didn't even say it. They just had Y dash dash H. Well, here, that's who he's calling on and a name. And a name is significant in the Bible. Like my name's Tom, your name's whatever. Well, you could say Tom's 65 years old. He's a nice little old fuzzball. Uh, he's a pharmacist. He has three kids. He has a lovely wife, Tammy. Well, in the Old Testament or in the Bible, a name really meant something. And it means all he is and all he represents. All he has accomplished, all he will accomplish, all he is, the totality of the being. Now, this indicates that the psalmist is calling on this creator and sustainer of the universe. And note, with this understanding, note the simplicity. I mean, sometimes I grew up thinking, you know, oh, theeth, thouest, thineth, you know, you had to have the right language and say the right words and make it really good so God would hear it. Well, listen to what the psalmist says here. It's first of all delivered straight to God. Oh, Lord, it's deeply felt. I pray or I implore you, Lord. Verse, or, and thirdly, st directly stating the need. Oh, Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. And answering this, pro this was no problem for God. None at all. 
Look at verse five through seven one more time. Gracious is the Lord and righteous, and our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the humble. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Wow. So we serve an awesome God. God heard him cry. He lifted him out of the pit of despair. What more can we learn? Next, we learn that God liberated him. God liberated him. Now, let's take just a minute and and camp on that. Verse 8. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. He was liberated from his torment and near-death experience, whatever it was. His life was restored. His tears were turned to joy. And what does it mean to be liberated as a believer? I mean, we're Americans. We're free, right? Well, in a sense we are because of the guarantees of the Constitution. But spiritually, we're not. You know, um, God knows all of us by name. We've already mentioned that. Uh, And uh, all of us bear the image of God. And as Pastor Josh has told us many times, because we descended from Adam, it's a marred image. We're born with a condition called in sin. It's a condition of man. Before a baby even has a concept of good or bad, they're born in sin. We were born in that condition and we spend the rest of our lives demonstrating that fact through acts of omission, commission, etc., etc. Um, but, so no one is good enough to just go to heaven. No one. No. Zip, zada, nada. On the other hand, no one is too far gone. You hear people say, oh, God could never love me after all I've done. No, that's not true. Romans 3.23 gives a common standing of all human beings apart apart from Christ. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, with that in mind, God loves all human beings equally. God does not love me one bit more than Charles Manson. I guess he's dead now. God loves all human beings equally. And he demonstrated that, in Romans, as Romans 5, 8 says, and that while he, God showed his love for us, and while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. This was a concept that was lost to me as a child. That wasn't, I didn't understand this until I was about 30, 31, 32 years old. When Christ died for my sin, that was 2,000 years ago. He didn't just die for what I've done. But what I have done, what I am doing, what I will do, the penalty has all been paid. Human beings need to take the remedy. All of us, all our sin. The good news is the gospel. For I delivered to you as of first importance, the best news ever delivered. Paul said that I, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance or fulfilling the scripture. That he was buried, that he was raised the third day in accordance with or fulfilling the scriptures. You know that's the best news humanity has ever received? And Romans 10, 9, and 10, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? Saved. You will be saved. And you know what that brings? Liberation. For the first time in one's life, they are truly free. 
free from our sentence, the sense, the sentence of death and spirit and separation and of God throughout eternity. That's suspended. It's overcome. Our sorrow. Listen, when we realize our lost estate or when we realize that we're facing death with no hope of heaven, that's a sorrowful state. And there's no hope beyond this life. And anyone who's honest with themselves, even those rejecting the the remedy of faith in Jesus Christ for salvation, even those rejecting it, if they're honest with themselves, they know very well they're not good enough to make it into heaven. They're not good enough to stand before a holy, righteous God. The only comfort that any of these people can take is I'm not as bad as so-and-so or I'm better than someone else. But the fact is no one is good enough. And we're also can be free from our sin. Do you realize once we're new in Christ that we're indwelt by God the Holy Spirit and really for the first time we have the power to be an overcomer? And we do that so that we might honor God with our lives. Now, we have seen the worshiper's bedrock emotion. I love the Lord. His reasons and his liberation. Now we want to see the worshiper shares his resolve. And that's in verses 9 through 19. These are grateful words of the psalmist after his deliverance. Now keep in mind that Jesus would have sung these words the night before the cross. And with his disciples, with that horror right before him. And I'm sure he sang them knowing in his humanity what was before him, which had to be horrible, but yet with confidence that he would once again walk in the land of the living. Now, verse 12 asks the pertinent question for all of us who name the name of Christ. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? When I consider what God has done for me, what can I give in return? Well, the answer we see with the worshiper's resolve here. He gives five things. The first is this. I will live right. I will live right. Look at verses 9 through 12. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. Imagine Jesus the night of his betrayal. Peter says, hey, Lord, I'll die with you. I'll never deny you. And we read later that all of them turn and ran. That had to be so real and alive to him, knowing that all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? So, first is I will walk in the land of the living. He's going to live right. Jesus is going to live. Okay, why is the psalmist going to do that? Why? Because God has delivered him. He knows that. He has just been delivered from certain death, mercifully, graciously by God. What's the only natural response? Gratitude. So I'm going to live right because I love God and I'm thankful. Do you realize that's the only two bedrock motivations that really have validity as Christians? We can't pay him back. It's a debt that we could never repay. All we can really do is show the world And God, that we love him and we're thankful. That's it. Christianity is very simple. 
You don't really need a bunch of rules and regs. All you have to do is ask yourself, well, what I'm about to do or what I'm about to partake in, what I'm about not to do, will that honor God? Will that show God my gratitude or will it not? Sorry, guys. I know that's painful and we don't like saying that because we all like to have little things to hang our hats on, but that's true. Will it honor God? Will it show my gratitude? Or will it show my contempt? Or will it show what I consider the value of what he has done for me in Christ? Okay. Now, so the psalmist believed even when he's in despair, even when he spoke in alarm or haste. Well, we see that in verse 10 through 12. I believed even when I spoke, oh, I'm greatly afflicted. He said he still believed then. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. It had to be in a desperate situation. But then, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? Okay, one thing he will do is live right. Secondly, I will believe right. I will believe right. Verse 13, I will lift up the cup of salvation. I will lift up the cup of salvation. This is the only place in the Old Testament where that exact expression is used. What's a cup? Something we drink out of, right? Is that what he's talking about? What is he talking about there? Psalm 16.5 says, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. Yahweh is a cup? You hold my lot. Psalm 23, verse 5. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head. My cup overflows. Now listen, here's what the cup is. This expression refers to the sum of circumstances in the life of a believer. Whatever you can say about where you are right now, that's your cup. Regardless of the circumstances, our being right with God, our salvation is a bedrock blessing. It's the basis for all praise, for all hope, for all thanksgiving. And he speaks of it as the cup of salvation. So, you know what? In order to uh, believe right, guess what? We have to have a right understanding of who God is. A right understanding of what we're believing in. So that we can know the cup of our salvation. And we do that. And frankly, that requires a study of God's word. That requires sitting under the sound of God's word. That requires prayer. Next, not only to believe right, I will pray right. This all goes hand in hand. It dovetails beautifully. For I will lift up the cup of salvation. I will call on the name of the Lord. I will call on the name of the Lord. Simply put, when we believe right, and pr- we will pray right. We saw this in verse 4. Now, the name, again, refers to all God is, all he represents, all he's done, all he's doing, all he has promised to do. The psalmist is calling out to the creator and sustainer of all that is and all that will be. Now, This includes an understanding of God's righteous and holy nature. It includes an understanding of his promises and power. I pray right in direct relationship to the amount I know about the one to whom I am praying. You understand that? 
Now, make a mental note of that one because I'm going to come back to it about praying right. Next, I will perform right. I will perform right. Look at verse 14. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Verse 18. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Why do you think he said that twice? I really don't know. I doubt that he forgot that he said it earlier, so it must be important. Uh, A logical fruit of his determination to live right, he's going to perform right. Apparently, the psalmist made some public promises during his time of distress, and he's going to make good on them. And in his case, it apparently involves some, some public sacrifices to God. But what can we say about ourselves in this? I really want to think about this one because I have fallen prey to it so many times. And I want you to stay with me now. It's not so easy to do. Imagine a time or two in your life, or maybe more than that, when the, you've been sitting under the sound of God's word or reading or listening or doing whatever, and the pastor says, you know what? We're called to, to spread God's word. We're, we're called to share the gospel. Now, every one of you knows someone out there that you have an influence with and you're known to, and you could very easily and naturally Speak to them about it. Will you do that? Think about it. Who is it? You think, well, yeah, I know who that is. Yep, I'm going to do that, God. I'm going to do that. Or another time you're thinking, boy, this person really needs support. I really love what they're doing. Like Margaret, she's going on true. I, I, I believe in that. I, I, I believe in, in her. Um, I believe God's really calling her to this. And yes, I'm going to support that. I'm going to do that, God. Or there's a ministry in the church and, and like the nursery needs help or whatever. And yeah, you're right, God. I need to do that. I'm going to do that. Yep, I'm going to do it. Prayer ends, you walk out, you jaw with people, you go have your lunch, you take a nap, you get ready for Monday and yeah, I'm going to do that. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, yeah, I said I was going to do that. And you know what? Pretty soon you know, well, I'm really not going to do that, am I? And you know what happens when you do that? You start saying, well, I don't want to get close to God because I don't want to have that knife stuck in my chest. We've all done it, haven't we? Now, let me ask you this. Aren't we glad that God doesn't keep his promises to us that way? Imagine if God kept his promises to us the way we keep our promises to him. Sorry, guys. I speak into myself first. I have done every one of those three things I just gave you. That's no excuse, and I say it to my shame. Be careful what you give God, what you promise to God, because we're called upon to be faithful to it, because he's faithful to us first. Where am I here? And remember, Jesus sold the, told these, said, sang these words the night before the cross. Aren't we thankful that he kept his promises? So I will perform right. Lastly, I will faithfully praise right. I will faithfully praise right. And this follows logically. When we live right, believe right, pray right, perform right, guess what is as natural as breathing? Correct 
praise. What had the psalmist been delivered from? Death, right? God had intervened. However, knowing that God is sovereign and that he has his control over his life, the psalmist can say in verse 15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. He knows when that time's come, it's going to be a glorious thing because he's going to be taken from this life into the presence of God for eternity. And that's a precious thing. Therefore, With the acknowledgement of the Lord's perfect ways. Let's read these last verses. And by the way, do you know that verses 17 through 19 are almost word for word identical to what Jonah said when he was in the belly of the fish? Keep that in mind. I will offer, I, O oh Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maid, certain you have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call in the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. Say it with me. Praise the Lord. One more time. Praise the Lord. Okay, now let's act like we mean that this week. Now I said I was going to come back to prayer. And I'm going to embarrass myself here. Karina, I don't know, you didn't know what I was going to preach on other than it was going to be Psalm 116. But that song, Fear is a Liar, was meant for what I'm just going to tell you. As many of you, some of you know, I'm a pharmacist and I had a previous job that changed a lot over the last few years. And I became absolutely miserable in that job. I'm not kidding you. I look back over my journals from this year, past year, and I, I don't like who that person was. I was just absolutely bitter and miserable and hopeless. And I prayed and prayed and prayed to God about it. I, I, I had a couple things out there. None, they always were out there, but they never, never quite came to fruition. They were always close, but they weren't. And I thought, well, I certainly can't just quit and not have anything else. So I, I literally, over time, walked hours in the cemetery at Milford praying, Lord, I'm pleading with you. Just tell me what I'm supposed to do, and I'll do it, Lord. You know my heart. I'll do it. If you want me to stay, I'll stay, and I'll make the best of it. If you want me to go, I'll go, but please make a way. Make it known to me. Please, just, you've been there, right? My own brothers-in-law came to me and said, Spike, we've never seen you so negative. Now, that's not me. I'm Mr. Happy. Well, I was out with my youngest brother-in-law one night for dinner. Tammy and I were, and his wife, and... He's been through a lot in his life. And I said to him at one point, Trent, I know there's been a couple times in your life you just quit jobs without having anything else before you. How did you do that? He said, well, Spike, I just figured God would provide something else for me. Do you realize that whole time I was walking around for hours pleading with God? that I had a big piece of my prayer and my life cut out, that wasn't one of the options. I wasn't going to do it until God answered it my way that I had something else. 
Now, I'm not saying be irresponsible and just flippantly quit a job, but I really was six months away from retirement anyways. There was no excuse for me not to trust God in that. A couple of days later, something happened. I turned in my resignation. The very next day, I was at work. I got a text. It was one of my prospective employers. Hey, call me when you get a chance. Before I got a chance to make that call, I got a text from another prospective employer. Call me. And you know what? That, there's a case where Satan had his way with me. I absolutely thought I was pure of heart and had this all right. I was pleading with God and I was. I don't remember a lot of things in my life that I prayed about harder than that. But the fact is I was blind to that one section. I simply, to simply trust God. And boy, he taught me a big lesson. And I praise him for that. This is the same God that I said all my life that I trusted implicitly. I'm just telling you this so that you take a good inventory of your lives too. What is it that you have shut off from God? Maybe you're out there and you've never really come to know Jesus as your savior It might be something you're going to do someday. It might be that you're thinking, well, hey, I'm better than most of these people sit here every Sunday. God loves them. He's got to love me. Uh Uh-uh, he does not. God made one way. His name is Jesus, and it's his cross, his finished work, only one way. If you've never come to Jesus, humble yourselves, come before God, confess your sin, and be saved. And for the rest of us, I challenge you on the, authority of my God, on the authority of God's word and based upon my 65 years of doing a lot of things wrong, do it because you love him and because you're grateful. May God bless his word. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for giving us your psalmist and the psalm. We thank you for this psalm of praise. Lord, we love you. Pray that our, Lord, that our lives will be a testimony to this, that others will see our joy, they will see that we are not afraid to speak for you and to act for you in a world that increasingly hates you. Lord, we just praise you for Jesus. We know it's all through his love, your love for us first, your sending your son, your sovereign drawing of us to you and your gift of faith that makes us all possible. We give you the rest of this day and thank you again in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.